Well, Brent is gay, and Caitlin's gay, and Clark is gay, and Ryan's gay, and Adam's gay. It's Homo Superior. Welcome to Homo Superior, where it takes two to make a thing go right. It takes two to make it out of sight. Hit it. I want to rock. Okay, I'll stop. Uh, issue 251. I'm Caitlin. And I'm the reason he was singing that song, because there's only two of us. It's Brent Wingate. And this week, Wolverine experiences the cold tundra of Canada. And Jen Walters, the cold tundra of heterosexual dating. Oh, I see what you did there. On our episodes of uh, X-Men, the animated series number six, and She-Hulk number four. Is the progenitor a DC gay? Because he's newly resurrected, getting in everyone's business, and judging them after knowing them for only a day. In all of the issues. I was actually surprised to see that it came up in the Wolverine. Yeah. And we'll wrap up with some plugs. But first, a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, this week we interviewed the creator of uh, creator illustrator writer of the Kill Lock, uh, Livio Ramondelli. Um, we had a wonderful interview and it was super fun. We're going to release that on Monday. If you like the Kill Lock, if you like great illustrations, he also illustrated uh, a bunch of storylines in Transformers. His work is very Ridley Scott-esque. It's, you know, evocative. It's the kind of art that you see on a lot of pulp novels. Yeah. uh, The space novels where everything is dusk and dusky and bleak. Um, And he was really great. I thought it was a really fun interview. I think you should check it out. I uh, when you said Ridley Scott, I immediately went to H.R. like Giger or Geiger. Yeah, Geiger, Ge- Geiger. Is it Geiger? Yeah. I always mispronounce it. Who designed the original Alien? Uh, like yeah, the, yeah, like yeah. the Xenomorph and everything. So yeah, there definitely you could see like his influences there. But yeah, uh, exciting interview and can't wait for all of y'all to listen to it. So let's move into our episode MCU Next TV, which is our weekly segment focused on the latest greatest of the MCU Disney Plus TV shows. While we sometimes digest entire seasons as extra issues, we know you folks can't wait to talk about weekly spoilers and reveals. So let's get down to She-Hulk Episode 4 and X-Men Datas Season 1, Episode 6. First we're, not, up, we're not losing that, are we? No. Datas da- is sticking around, baby. It's Datas. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's all about Datas. So let's go, uh, start talk about She-Hulk Episode 4 first. Wong, yes, he's back files a cease and desist against the terrible magician Donnie Blaze, uh, basically a Chris Angel uh, knockoff, uh, the guy who was in Vegas. And She-Hulk joins Matcher, which is a dating app. Uh, Donnie Blaze gets under Wong's skin, and it's up to She-Hulk to sue him for unfair competition and negligent business practices. They fail to get an immediate injunction somehow. Yeah, terrible judge. Uh, And Blaze opened a portal to demons during a show, interrupting Jen's first successful date. Jen and Wong are able to save the day, but not before she threatens the opposing side, making them agree to her terms under duress. And then Titania is out from, if you remember from the first episode, she's out of jail and is suing Jen for trademark infringement. I just want to start, before we get into anything else, Yeah. how important to you is legal realism in this show? I'm not a lawyer. Sure. I'm not a lawyer, but it was clear. That Unnecessary there was, disclaimer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's clear when you can see the seams of plot, like you have to move the plot in this direction. Yes. And the judge n- not allowing the injunction made no sense to me. It's in- just absolutely insane. And it also didn't matter. So when I went into this show, I actually thought, and maybe because I'd been watching Better Call Saul, where they had lawyers consult yeah. uh, on the actual like practice in a courtroom and how things are really done. I had a high or a bar than I probably should have on how legally. Oh, I get a higher bar. Yeah. Uh, 
the fact that they couldn't get an injunction on what is clearly a very dangerous thing to do. Yeah. When the the judge could always grant a partial I'm not an, I'm not a lawyer either, but I know a judge can grant a partial injunction and say, "Hey, you can't do that specific trick. Right. Uh, it's illegal. You can change your outfits as many times as you want, but you can't open up portals to wherever. Right. That is just inherently dangerous in and of itself. Here's my no prize explanation. My no prize explanation, this judge appointed by Donald Trump. Okay. She's pretty dangerous. All right. All right. Yeah. Yeah. And the legal system is upset because she doesn't know what she's talking about and is violating the law herself. You know, you could come up with explanations for everything if you just use Donald Trump. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he is the ultimate get out of jail free card, and I mean that literally. I And then I don't know how they're going to actually address it, but the trademark stuff is a really weird thing to bring up because I think that there are there there are like usage rules about trademarks. Jen isn't using the name to profit from it in any way. Her, right. She doesn't have her own law practice even and she is just working under a law firm. She doesn't yeah. have advertising for it. There's not really a very I don't know what product uh Titania says she's going to sell that means that people could be confused by the two names. The best I could think of would be that this is a way of getting out, like, okay, the show has made a point that She-Hulk is a terrible name for this character. Yeah. There's an inherent sexism to it. Could we possibly change it? But can you name any candidate from the comics or from your own mind that would be a good substitute? Because Shulk is not going to do Shulky? it. Shulky? Shulky? Awful. Uh, no, they're not going to change Hulk-a- it. Hulk Tress. They're not going to change it. It is a way to bring in Titania back into yeah. it without like just interrupting some court case. While Jen Walters is doing her thing, uh, it is, um, and it's a way of I think preventive monetizing because the Avengers have, we can assume that they've all had the opportunity to become super successful because there's been a lot of like ancillary materials made about them. I mean, think about in Hawkeye, there's an entire musical, the Steve Rogers the musical, and so. One would hope that like the Captain America stuff has gone to his estate, but with the timey wimey stuff, who the hell knows how that works? So, I'm going to allow that of part of it to happen. That bothers me less than the the judge's lack of injunction. I'd like to see what the trademark because you can always make a baseless allegation, which yeah. this is on its face. But, um, you know, I just hope it's not so fucking stupid because yeah. if it is, if it's going to be a court case of the week. I would like them to ground it a little bit more in something because just as much as the as emotional stakes matter or the stakes in a fight need to be consequential, if you're hinging any of your action based off of stupid rulings or stu- things that are so so patently ridiculous that the entire magician's t- law team starts pulling out handkerchiefs and stuff, yeah. it becomes pointless trying to think about her career as an attorney why what are the stakes for her to like keep that rather than just become a hero if it's so ridiculous that nothing matters you know what's less realistic in my mind it's the fact that it's taken wong 15 years to watch the sopranos i actually believe that the most um and because he's a sorcerer supreme and he's been in tibet i don't know maybe it just like wasn't on his radar you know and then he finally got around to it he's you know He's he's five seasons deep already, so maybe he's just like repicking it back up. It, you know, the funniest thing is okay. Soprano spoilers for all of you, but it's, the show spoiled it as well. Uh, is when he's you hear the music, you know he's listening to it, 
uh, you see him pause, and it's um, the episode is like airport par- parking lot or whatever it's called. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember. And that. I was like, oh, that's the one that uh, Adriana was killed in. And then like Meg Megan is Ma- that Madison King with two ins, one Y, and it's not, not where, where you, you think, think it is. Um, comes in. Oh, that's where Adriana got killed. And he's like, are you fucking really? Well, as far as motivators for uh, trying to kill someone or stop them from doing anything in their life, spoiling something that you really wanted to see, I can kind of get. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of Madison as a character in Meg- general? Isn't it Ma- Madison or Megan? No, it's Madison. It was Madison? Yeah. Okay. Because she, she spells it in the episode. Oh. It's like Madison, M-A-D-I-S-Y-N-N, King. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed her. She reminds me of some of our friends, actually. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I was like, just her kind of her vocal fry. And How her... did she get a martini glass into an abandoned theater where magic shows are still being performed? I'm assuming this is Vegas. Okay. Do they, I guess they allow that? Oh, yeah. In Vegas? Oh, yeah. Martini glasses? Really? Uh, the most yeah. spillable? Okay. Yeah. It's Vegas. Everything goes there, baby. I, I feel like they would have had Vegas, s- baby. something. But also... That they let her, that they okay. So when they ask people to testify, they will say, "Have you consumed any alcohol or drugs in the past twenty four hours?" Yeah. She literally came from a party, is currently drunk. I don't know how they let her testify. I don't understand that. I I think don't think of this as a legal show, even though it's She Hulk attorney at law. Yeah. We just kind of have to let that go. In the same way, we kind of have to let go that the. CGI is still a little wonky. Okay, so can it's you, so charming. Can you copyright magic? Uh, can you copyright? I think you copyright a spell. You can copyright. Uh, you can copyright magic tricks, as Jen points out. You can copyright a card trick. Yeah. Um, and there's very special ways. I think that the courts, you know, um, you know, parse those kinds of things out because they're actually I don't think you copyright those. I think they're technically uh, trademarked kind of trade secrets. Um, so someone could do your same trick, but they can't use your method right. to do it. Right. Um, but can you copyright magic is like, can you copyright fashion? And the answer is no, you definitively can't. What do you mean you can't copyright fashion? You cannot copyright any style, look, anything. You copyright a name. You Sorry, you don't copyright. You trademark a name brand. But what are like a pattern? Like the Burberry pattern nope. is is. Well, is, is trademark or it's 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 under like IP law. Well, um, I don't know about that specifically, that pattern specifically, but it's you, a very very noticeable or like very recognizable. But, but anyone can print that pattern if they want, and they can make a purse the same if they want. Um, they just can't use the Burberry name on it. Um, mm, okay, I I it, don't know if that's true. It's also true about uh, dishes, like recipes. You mm-hmm. can't you can't copyright those um, because that I, that I believe because these things are considered to be so common in usage that it w- it's it's impossible to determine who is the creator or not who is the creator, but uh, who would possibly own that idea. This is interesting to me. Okay, so like okay, so like nudie jeans have a specific kind of st- stitch work on the back of their back pockets. Yeah. Is it like because of that's part of their like symbol slash like part of the logo that can be trademarked, but not the way that they make their make their jeans? Great question. Uh, I don't know how it because because trademarks do apply to logos. Yeah. Um, 
but you including that in the clothing, I do think uh, does mean that that part could be trademarkable. Now I'm wondering, now I know why the other three didn't want the two of us to record, because this is what this episode yeah, would evolve but, into. But look. But fucking IP law. Look, this stupid Donnie Blaze, <laughs> not, I'm glad he's not fucking anything close to Ghost Rider. Yeah, John, I was like, John, wait, Johnny, I had to like rewind, is that Johnny Blaze? Uh, he's right. You can't copyright magic, man. You can't. Wow, Chris Angel, Chris Angel, Chris Angel. All right, fine. Then how about let, let's talk about what Ryan would talk about. Uh, did the date with the most hot doctor seem completely poorly written and implausible? It, um, oh, that's so rough. Um, tell me more about how you're feeling. Like, who speaks in such a weird, clinical, stilted way? I was annoyed with it until he wakes up the next morning and he sees Jen and he's like, yeah, I'm going to go. And I was like, oh, okay. You're a fucking like narcissist, like uh, image conscious piece of shit who only wanted to fuck She-Hulk. I'm okay with it now. But but it seems like he would have been ex- fine if she was still, like if she just turned back into She-Hulk, right? E- I yeah, guess. I mean, I mean, the vibe I picked up, <laughs> maybe just from poor writing or acting, I don't know. But the vibe I was picking up was like, oh, you're not She-Hulk now. But the thing I was interested in was She-Hulk. You can, she can become She-Hulk again. There's not, that's a weird impediment, I think. Yeah, but I, I like, like if I, if I was dating a person and I really liked it when they wore button up shirts, but they changed into a t-shirt one day and I'm like a little bit disappointed, they can still change into button up shirts. I could still have that. That's right, a epi- weird analogy, is it, dude. Is it? This It'll, episode's got me riled. It's a little, <laughs> every episode has you riled, baby. Um, I, I'm also doing baby a lot and I think it's, it's Adam's influence. I don't know what that is. I, I don't, I don't, and, I don't, I don't, and I don't like it. I don't like it either. You think you don't like it? I don't like it. Well, the thing that's funny is now that's going to be one of those things that you said it ironically a few times and now it's actually going to become part of your vernacular. God damn it. A thousand percent. You're goddamn right. Okay. Okay. So, uh, the dating app is matcher. What would be a superhero dating app that you would create? What would you call it? I mean, I, I mean, I can't come up with a name like that on the spot. Cape, cape for cape. I mean, uh, I know we're supposed to be funny. mask for mask, uh, mask uh, for mask. Yeah, God damn it, that is better. Yeah, I, I yeah. All right, well, we did it. Mask yeah. for mask. Let's or, talk, let's or, talk about Tass. or atom for atom. Okay. Uh, speaking of the atom, X Men: The Animated Series, Episode Six. Uh, this is the aftermath of the last episode. Uh, after he realizes Scott and Jean really are in love, Wolverine heads to Canada and faces off against Sabretooth. Uh, he skates across the fo- frozen tundra, but is thrown into the ice by Sabretooth. Um, he's then saved by an Inuit tribe, which he tries to prove he's better than by fishing better than they do. Weird flex. Yeah. Uh, the smartest human am- among the tribe instantly realizes that Wolverine's a dick, hates him, and teams up with Sabretooth. Uh, Sabretooth then destroys the village while Wolverine was lured away, and they fight. Uh, meanwhile, it's vacation time for the rest of the crew who are going to Genosha, who are there to investigate stuff. But watch out. It's a trap. What'd you guys think? What did you think? What did you guy think? What did I guy think? Yeah. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about this because this is actually the first one I kind of enjoyed. Really? And I think that... Was it the, the cold tundra of Canada? It was so accurately represented, what with all of Canada's ice bridges <laughs> that have dynamite <laughs> strapped yeah. to them. Yeah. Sabretooth. He's got a nose for Wolverine and ice bridges. Yeah. Um, 
I hate the Inuit stuff. That to me felt like Dances with Wolverines. Really fucking pretty stupid. Good joke. Yeah. Um, and and that you know this guy like Wolverine tries to high road the guy all the time. He's like, I don't. You know, he doesn't have to prove himself to you. Like motherfucker, this guy just showed up in our village and is trying to make me look like a chump. Like I don't know how to fucking fish. Like fuck you. He was just in a different on a different patch of a school of fish. Dumb. However. This episode kind of reminds me of why people love Wolverine so much. I could see this being like a solo Wolverine movie Mm -hmm. that he's his most interesting, not when he's brooding about all the pain he's experienced and the wrongs that have happened, but when he has more, he's a pained person who has wisdom that there's the moment where he's about to stab the, the guy who betrays him from the village. Yeah. And he decides, you know, this is not your fault. I think that is the most interesting Wolverine where he recognizes that there are different degrees of responsibility for this. Um, And while not as nuanced as I would like it to be, that that is a much better way of thinking about a character who is constantly in pain. As someone who sees the pain in others and can see what it can do to them and forgives them still. I love that you're the Wolverine fan on this podcast well you are to the extent that i am yeah no i think you are you're the the biggest wolverine fan i think you actually like the character more than we do i tolerate him and the rest of them kind of hate him yeah um i will say this episode was interesting because of the introduction of a b subplot uh it's where uh gambit um uh jubilee and storm all head to genosha genosha excuse me uh, where this is like sort of like pre-internet days or early internet yeah. days where they're like, oh, Genosha is supposed to be a haven for mutants. It's like, if you just fucking Googled it, I was thinking, if yeah. you just Googled it, you could find... <laughs> they like, have 800 computers behind them. Yeah. And none of them have Google. They're all connected to DARPA or something. Yes, exactly. And I was like, oh, wait, this is 1993. There is no Google. Scott uh, has the great line, you'll take a commercial flight to Gen- Genosha. Your cover is that you're tourists. Well played, Scott. Yeah. Brilliant. Wow. Awesome. <laughs> really good uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy there. Um, we'll say, though, like putting myself back in the early 90s, like most shows didn't have these kinds of like ongoing subplots, yeah. like setting up stories for like future, future, future storylines, uh, future episodes. Um, it happened in soap operas, of course. Uh, it happened in anime to a certain degree. And like at that point, there was very limited anime coming to like American TV. Yes. So um, if you were a kid or, you know, an adult who enjoyed the X-Men, you didn't see this kind of stuff. And it started resembling the comics, like the Claremontian, like, you know, like the way he set up uh, the X-Men as well. So it's actually kind of interesting and cool that they did that. Well, I think it, it, it is interesting to see in an animated show the way that this B plot is constructed because, you know, in television, as you pointed out, there aren't these longer form stories outside of soap operas and, you know, a few dramas where they have like, a, you know, a police detective that is trying to solve a crime of his wife's death or whatever. Right. That that span multiple episodes. But tons of shows had B plots. The thing that I thought I think is interesting about them is that they don't go anywhere. Right. The B plot happens. The A plot happens. And it's not really until Seinfeld that the B plot and the A plot connect at some point. And I think that Seinfeld hasn't been around long enough. And this show's production had to have been started like in 90. 
right? Uh, yeah, order, 91-ish. Yeah. In order for that kind of uh, structural synergy to start to be noticed by uh, the industry, like... I wish I wish there was something like a narrative element or anything right. that connected these two stories, but it is completely unrelated. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It is, but that's how the comics work too. It's like, oh, Wolverine's off doing his own thing. Let's see what Gambit, Storm, and Jubilee are doing. Anything else except on that? Badass? I mean, except for the just the nonsense of like people being absolutely creepy in front of your face. Like, oh yes, you're going to enjoy this room. It's going to be the thrill of your life. And the guy is like jizzing in his pants. I know right he's like leering over his computer. It's like, Ugh. and they're like, yeah, take us to our rooms. It's like, I hope I have a bidet. Sure, love it. Yeah. All right, let's move on to them issues. Oh my god, our issues. <sighs> we have so many of them. Mm. Uh, the Issues. It's our weekly recap of uh, All Things X. This week, we've got Axe, Death to Mutants number two, Immortal X-Men. It says Immoral X-Men number six. They're not and, very moral. And this is where Nightcrawler gets plugged. Uh, we got I wish. Marauders number six, New Mutants number 29, Wolverine number 24, and X-Men and Moon Girl number one. All right. So there's a bunch of overlap over here, so we might jump between stuff. Yeah. But in Axe, Death to Mutants... Crow and Emma Frost kind of uh, joint. Kieran Gillen and Guy Villanova, by the way. Sorry, thank you. Yeah. Uh, just jump in and throw those in for me. Yeah. Uh, Crow and Emma Frost uh, start to join forces. They have a little bit of fun back and forth. The Celestial, uh, the progenitor, uh, starts judging some Eternals and uh, makes it clear that the Earth machine that has been kind of narrating this story all along uh, is going to get judged too. Uh, Cersei and Jack of Knives break Eros out of jail and then... Once again, Mimatar coming through with my favorite fucking storyline, their own personal development. Apparently, Mimatar wants to write poetry with a woman named Sally, and everything is so fucking sad about it. In Immortal X-Men number six, written by Kieran Gillen and Lucas Wernick, uh, the Celestial is just judging everyone left and right. Uh, this time, it's members of the Quiet Council, including Emma, who failed, Destiny, who failed, Kate Bishop, or sorry, Kate Pride, uh, who Kate Bishop uh, passes, uh, Exodus passes, and Shaw fails. Uh, but uh, then Shaw summons, uh, has a conversation with Eros, and summons Mother Righteous. Whoa, I was shocked by that. Yep. In Marauders number six, we have a kind of anthology. Oh, sorry, by Steve Orlando and uh, art by Andrea Brocardo. Uh, it's kind of an anthology episode. Uh, where each of the team of the Marauders are working with the empath, telepath, psychologist, Birdie, uh, as they want to re relay how the uh, judgment affected them. Although, interestingly, I don't think we saw the results of any of those judgments, did we? No. We Everyone didn't. basically said, fuck you, judges. Yeah. Uh, in Wolverine number 24, in a surprise move, we Benjamin got Percy and uh, Federico Vincentini. Thank you. We got an old storyline comeback that I was not fucking expecting at all. I loved it. In Ten of Swords, Wolverine and Solemn, his competitor in the Ten of Swords competition, ended up uh, ruining a wedding in hell, murdering the groom of the wedding, and stealing the Muramasa swords from the wedding party, and the hell bride vowed to get destruction, and now she's, bound she's back to get destruction, Meanwhile, Wolverine and Solemn are going to try and kill the Celestial, and the Celestial is going to judge uh, the Hellbride 
if she's successful or not right. at her fucking mission. Yeah. A lot of stuff happens in this overlapping kind of stuff with uh, Judgment Day, and I'm still really enjoying it. Um, I really did like um, uh, the conversation between Crow and Emma Frost a lot. I like. I knew that that was coming because we had seen that in an issue last week, but to see like just their like kind of like quasi flirting, quasi like it's a psychosexual flirting. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, I can see this. It's good, uh, and. You know, normally, like, when, um, uh, like, a storyline like this, like, kind of goes to the quote-unquote normies, as Clark would say, uh, I get really annoyed. But I'm really enjoying all, like, the human aspect of, of this and the Mimitar, the woman who's, like, yes. writing on it, I thought was really well done. I, I, I don't know why it keeps getting included. And yet, like, it, in a lesser story, you wouldn't have this, which is some super powerful monster that's just supposed to fight our heroes that you're just witnessing the, for lack of a better phrase, humanity of that character, that this is a teenager in, uh, in eternals terms that has only been around walking around like for a few months that hasn't studied, hasn't learned about any of the things that like Cersei and the, and Icarus have got to learn about and is delighted by humanity itself. Yeah. I also liked, I think it was in this issue, and I, I read them all really quickly, so forgive me if I get it wrong, but when, I think it's the Mimitar says that, um, you know, like her grandmother or mother said, like, you only have one life to live. Yeah. Uh, so do, do like, live live the best life you can, um, but it's not true for mutants or Eternals, and that's really unfair. Yes. And that is such a wonderful human moment. Uh, I was like, oh, fuck. Like, this storyline is getting better than I even originally anticipated. So there's a moment with the Mimitar where it thinks I would really like to be writing poetry. Mm-hmm. And that is the thing that I know that if I was judged for it, I would fail the yeah. amount of poetry. But what I'm going to be judged for, I, I'm is, sorry, I didn't mean the Mimitar. I meant the, the girl that he was talking yeah, to. Sally, yeah, Sally. Sally. Yeah. 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 Um, the Mimitar, the Memotar, I don't know how to pronounce it, but Mimitar. Yeah. Um, the Mimitar says, I, I know that I won't be judged for my poetry. I hope it's based on the quality that I'm burning these people. And you're like, oh, God, that's so sad. Yeah. Because I'm sure that if you're reading T.S. Eliot, yeah. you're going to recognize the horrors of war and what you're doing and that you're kind of like burying your head down because you're instructed to do so. The, I don't see an outcome where the, the progenitor judges a character like this favorably. Yeah. It's, the the running theme that I think is coming out is that if you are not leading your life purposefully, then you are going to be judged harshly. Right. I I really really I, I was incredibly poignant, and one of my f- other favorite moments from this issue is when you know the world who is this omniscient narrator has been for uh, the the Eternal series as long as Karen Gillan's been writing it like the progenitor comes and says, you're going to be judged too. It's very much like Fleabag. Yes. When the second season, when the priest keeps telling Fleabag, who are you talking to? What you keep turning away. You keep, I keep losing you. And it's like, it's like, I can see you breaking the fourth wall and I need you to stop it. Yeah. I think that this, when this issue started, the second I saw the text from the earth machine, yeah, I thought, Oh wait, that looks like the way that, <laughs> that the progenitor speaks. Oh, yeah. he's going to, 
he is going to face judgment or bring judgment on this being. Um, there was one Kieran Gillenism that like made me kind of haha, but also roll my eyes a little bit when they were talking about like Iceland being wiped out, Reykjavik being wiped out, yes. and they're like, no more Sigur Ross albums. I was like, you fucking seriously hipster <laughs> motherfucker. All right. Okay. So uh, wait, wait, oh, I okay. actually had a question. Yeah. So the celestial appears to crow and all the deviants simultaneously. Yeah. Judges them favorably because through no no promise of the mutants the the deviants showed up to defend them because they saw them as one of their own yeah but when the progenitor appears he appears in a form that looks like an old form of drawing the celestials like it is not the same as this mutated monstrous thing why do you think that is uh well Remember that, like, even for the mutants uh, that are being judged, the progenitor can appear in different forms. Right. And so because the deviants are in some ways seen as a collective when compared to the Eternals, uh, that the appeared in, I think the progenitor appears in an earlier form to them. Gotcha. Versus, like, how he appears on page for everybody. And then, like, you know, when Destiny gets judged, um, uh, progenitor appears as Mystique. And then she lies and says it was my mother. Um, so I thought, I think that's actually really interesting. Um, I, I really love immortal X-Men or as you would call it, immoral X-Men. I didn't write it. So uh, oh, oh, don't okay. blame me. Wow. I actually added a T to immortal X-Men. So not enough T's though. Oh, uh, wow. Spell that T sis. Um, I, it's, I, what did you think of the Shaw, like Shaw being the, uh, narrator of this issue? Cause you know, every, there's a different quiet council member, uh, for every issue. I think that. The Immortal X-Men is becoming one of my favorites yeah. because there are the distinctive voices that I, I really want to hear. And I'm glad that we got to see more of Shaw's backstory and how he views himself. Um, I'm sure you've read a ton of Shaw stuff, but f- you know, for me, it's a bit obscured. Um, <clears throat> I do think it was interesting as a choice to have Emma Frost as his judger yeah i think that's really fun i think it's really biting and i think that probably nags him more than any possible judgment he could have gotten it so shaw obviously is a mutant as well because otherwise he could be on krakoa could be on the quiet council but um you remember the line where he was like you know people ask if i regret like investing in the sentinels yes i only regret not doing it earlier to make more money he is literally he is a log cabin republican yeah uh who is like i don't really give a fuck if my identities rights get taken away i'm just here for the money yeah yeah yeah. Uh, like literally i remember I, this is going back a number of years i remember talking to some guy uh, who was going to vote for uh bush over Kerry in the 04 election and i said and that year like bush uh his campaign made uh, uh anti-gay marriage a big part of what he was doing and he had these ballot initiatives all over the country to get evangelical votes out and this guy said, well, I don't plan on getting married, so I don't really care. I'm just going to vote for the tax cuts, and I believe in what W is doing in Iraq. And I was like, you short-sighted, narcissistic motherfucker. Like, what a rat fuck. Yeah. And also... And Shaw is that person. It's a nice And I appreciate ad. that. It's a nice ad, uh, additionally, to future storylines that, all right, here's yet another way that Krakoa is being undermined, that Shaw is, for his own financial interests, yeah. aligning himself with Orcus. Yeah. Uh, so Marauders number six was a, a quote-unquote quieter issue. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Before we get to Marauders number six, yeah. is there anything about 
the Eros discussion or Mother Righteous? Like Mer- Mother Righteous was shocking. That I was shocked. By I it. was like, I was not expecting to see her outside of Legion of X. Yes. And I'm like, I am immediately intrigued because I was like, who is he? Who is he calling? I was like, is it Mephisto? So I think that it was a very smart preamble to have her make a deal with Banshee um, to see that, oh, what she really is, is a master of deals. Yeah. Um, she's a she's driving these Faustian bargains. And I do not know what on earth uh, Shaw will get out of this. Yeah. But I'm I'm loving that she just showed the fuck up. This was a good this is a good week of comics to bring back stuff that yeah. you weren't really thinking about. No, it's great. I love I, I love the callbacks. Um, so let's talk about Marauders a little bit. It's more, as you said, an anthology issue. I liked the way that like Somnus and Tempo were working in conjunction together. I agree. To have this kind of like uh, moment to like kind of like we have to work shit out. We've just been through this traumatic thing in space and Shi'ar space and we need a little bit of time. Uh, this is probably my favorite issue of Marauders thus far. Um, it's still not my favorite yeah. X book, uh, but I, I I did enjoy it. Um, Judas Traveler is a throwback. Yeah, that, I want to know who the fuck is Judas Traveler. He's and why is he a combination of a goth band and a bluegrass band from Alabama? So you say goth and bluegrass because uh, he's very '90s, my friend. And so uh, when I started reading Steve Steve Orlando stuff. I was like, I immediately started getting the references in his work. Yeah. Because we were really into like 90s comics, like both Marvel and DC. And he's written for both both companies. And so like friend of the pod, like we've talked to him about it before. We it's don't like, have to say that every time. But no, we is, have to say it every but time. he is the friend of the pod. He is. Um, you know, uh, like when he picks up on these like like obscure- Hi, Steve. What are you up to? Are you listening? If you are listening, just like look up at the stars and maybe we'll be looking up at the same stars of the next guy. Anyways, you were saying? I don't think I You can. were saying about the 90s or something? Yeah, I was saying about the <laughs> yeah. fucking 90s. Uh, Judas Traveler was a character from the Clone Saga from Spider-Man, which is like the much maligned, but sort of like people kind of look fondly back upon yeah. as some of the best and worst of the 90s, some of the excesses, but also like some like shit when like uh, both companies were willing to make some risks to like their major, uh, their major characters. Uh, and he's also um, in a panel, uh, but obscured. You don't see his full face in the Thunderbird one shot that Steve co wrote. Oh, and he's like one of the masterminds of Orcus. So he's in. He's he's a character. He's in that as well. So I, it definitely feels like a character that you see and think, ah, I bet this is scary for some people. <laughs> But I don't know. It'd be like if if everyone was warning me about Candyman. Yeah. And then I and then Candyman shows up, and I'm like, oh, I bet he terrifies. Someone. I mean, it's scary if you're really scared by deep cuts, which I sometimes am. Look, at the more I read Somnus, the more I love him. Um, Steve Orlando talked in a panel about how he views this character as being a way to pay tribute and reflect on some of the the part of the generation of gays that were kind of lost to um, the bigotry of society and in particular AIDS. Um, And I think that that's such a fun way of including queerness into the story of judgment that you had a character who was closeted or who who remained closeted throughout his life, died, was resurrected under the Krakoan protocols and now is being judged for the quality of the life that he is leading. Yeah. You know, these several weeks. I think it's just fabulous, and I am glad that, you know, all the characters, you know, put a middle finger up to 
the progenitor and aren't really interested in the answer. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so with Wolverine number 24, I knew you were, I think you really love this issue. Um, I did. Um, tell, tell me why. So Solemn coming back, I think he is a fun character. Uh, to me, he has the, he is the, you know, sexual intelligentsia type. Yeah. Like a low key or the artisan um, from the kill lock. Like, yeah. Um, it's smart. It's funny. It's always flirtatious. It's a little amoral. Yeah. You don't know if he's up to good or bad, but you can't resist him. Yeah. And sounds like your husband. Well, a the, bit. Th- the thing that's funny to me is, is that they're bringing back characters that didn't really matter. They yeah. were kind of in the background. This, the hell bride vowing to get revenge is such a throwaway line that no one had to pick this back up and for them then to go, all right, we've got these soul swords. We're going to go kill a God. That's the mission. It seems a little bit stupid on its face. And I really enjoy that. Yeah. I love it too. Uh, I think the thing that sold me the most though, was when the hell bride got onto earth, she saw a, a version of her father, but it's the celestial yeah. saying, Hey, you're in my world now and I'm going to judge you by my terms. What are those terms? Yeah. And she's like, I'm here to punish. And he's like, all right, bitch, then tell me how you're doing. Yeah. And I just, I think that's great. Uh, I was worried uh, about Wolverine as a title once Deadpool made, like kind of like went over to X-Force, which like he's great in that as well. But this was a very enjoyable issue. I also, because, you know, we buy these on Comixology and I'm wondering if Wolverine is going to be, oops, it's a maxi because it said... Uh, 24 of 27. Like, I'm wondering if this is going to end with issue 27. I mean, obviously there will be another Wolverine book in the future, but yeah, uh, maybe Benjamin Percy's kind of done writing that, writing Wolverine solo. I don't know. There's been a lot of ups and downs in this storyline that I've really, I think it's it's on net worth it. I think that there's been some fun reflecting for Wolverine about why Kirko is special to him and the nature of second chances. Um, so I can't turn that stuff down. Yeah. Uh, but there's also been fucking wastes of time. <laughs> oh, to- yes, uh, awful, awful storylines. So, I will, I will say like one, one really quick thing. Yeah. The art. Let's talk about the art in all these books. Yeah. It's all great. Uh, Federico Vincenti. He was, I believe, the artist on the Ten Deads of Wolverine. Um, and he drew this issue of Wolverine. Fucking love his stuff. Andrea Bricardo is doing nice work on Marauders. I'm enjoying her work a lot more than the regular artist because it's a lot more clear. I think that the thing I like about this art is that, it, to me, the way that Steve Orlando is trying to tell the story is that it's almost like a pop art type comic. Yes. And that you need a more playful style. Yes. A little bit cartoonish, yes. a little bit like, yeah, you're right. But without without falling into being wackadoodle, like, oh, this is so loopy. Uh, it's a weird world you might enter if you were like in exiles or something. For sure, um, and it's also clear storytelling is a big, big thing for me. It's like, like if you if I can't tell what's going on, then I can't really enjoy the story. Lucas Warnock keeps getting better and better, yeah. uh, and then Guy Villanova, uh, just really nice work. So I think it's fabulous. Yeah, should we move on? Yeah, let's talk about uh, uh, New Mutants. A pretty quick story. Yeah. Uh, By Danny Lore, who's a guest author, and the artist is Guillermo Santa. So Danny Lore, I think, tells a very interesting story in a very simple way. Yeah. It's Dokken being upset that he can't find uh, Scout, or Honey Badger, as we recognize her. 
Uh, so he takes it out on Proudstar, who's been the one of the instructors for the New Mutants. Right. And he knows where she's gone, but doesn't pursue it. Instead, he does this kind of pouting, like he wants attention for it. Yeah. To then go find her. She's She was at an Orca's facility. They basically take down the Orca's facility, return to Krakoa, and Gabby is there. Yeah. Um. Apparently, they didn't find any evidence at the Orcas facility that Gabby was there, like that she beat up dozens of people or fucked up security systems. Uh, th- that went completely unnoticed, but whatever. The thing that I think is more satisfying is that you've got some fun relationship where a character like Dokken, who is often just written as a stupid fuckboy, is actually expressing more of some of the interactions that were set up in Vidayala's New Mutants run that he is he is genuinely worried about her and feels the need to protect her she is always overconfident in her abilities right um i think that that is a fun new avenue for you know a character who has always kind of been written as a punchline to to fill a better space in I really appreciated one. Uh, I think Danny Lord did a nice job. I have not read their work before, but I think they've contributed to like some of the pride one shot. So maybe I have, and I just can't remember. So my apologies, but it's nice having a one and done issue after the last four to five issues, focusing in on limbo and Madeline Pryor and magic. Yeah. Uh, which I enjoyed overall, even though I had some pacing issues with it. Um, it was just nice to see the sort of team up. Um, I've never seen Akihiro and uh, James like working together on anything and like that kind of like, you know, a little bit of the contrarian, a little bit of like the like they don't quite get along, but then they do end up getting along. It's very like, you know, very comic booky trope, but it worked for me. It just it worked because of Gabby, because exactly of what you said. So because uh, Akira has now gotten this mantle, uh, not mantle, but uh, title ish type thing bestowed upon him. Like the the f- being a part of this tribe, I can't, I can't remember that. What the, what is his? Oh, oh the uh, uh, with the 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 fangs, the, the fangs, fangs yes. from uh, from the Shi'ar, the Imperial Guard. Do you think that we're gonna get more character development from him, or are they gonna stall it? At all, he cares about is making sure that Gabby's fine. I think that I think they will give more character development. I. I I don't like the relationship with him and Aurora. Like that was set up in X Factor. Uh, that Leah Williams wrote. Um, it's clearly Steve is like, you know, you know, having that in Marauders. Uh, and there's like kind of a quasi love, bizarre love triangle with Somnus there. Um, only because they had hooked up before. And I don't think they've, they're still fucking, but maybe they are in soft panel. Uh, if so, that'd be great. Uh, I do like his sort of his redemptive arc um, in the same way. I don't like kid Omegas that they were doing. Like Benjamin Percy was doing in X-Force. I think making Akihiro like less amoral makes a lot more sense to me. Yeah. Uh, I just don't want him defined by like a romantic relationship, which I feel like the Aurora stuff is very much part of that. Um, do you want to talk about uh, Moon Girl and the X-Men? I mean, sure. Yeah. It's uh, um, written by Mohel Mashihigo Mash- and David Cutler. Oh, sorry. It's written by Mohel Mashigo. 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 Yeah. Uh, and illustrated by David Cutler and Marika Cresta. So Moon Girl teams up with Havoc and Wolverine uh, to infiltrate Counter-Earth and save Devil Dinosaur and retrieve uh, Logan's blood. 
Um, there's not a lot of extra. Not a lot there there. Stuff that uh, was connected to any of the things that uh, we've talked about so far. So it's a little bit of a left field. Um, but I will say, like scientists on Earth, I don't think I've ever heard of Counter-Earth. Oh, uh, so Counter-Earth, it's like the high evolutionaries thing. He's been High evolutionary was featured in Jonathan Hickman's Avengers, if yeah. you recall that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just one of those dumb, it's one of those dumb things. Um, that so like there, happens in comics. I've so. heard, I've heard in in among like alien conspiracy theorist circles, of like a hidden planet that's on the opposite side of Earth. The problem is that it would crash into yeah other planets eventually because yeah, of the orbit. Yeah, um, so it doesn't make sense at all. But I did not know that was a thing in the comics, and also I was a little bit weirded out. So Moon Girl's the smartest. Yes. Uh, when did this happen? I'm happy for her. I guess I just didn't know. Just, I mean, just go is, with it, it. is it just a thing that like any writer will say, yeah. like their own character is the smartest? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Fuck everyone who came before. So this is this is a great comic that I would give to a friend of mine whose kid is really getting interested in comics. Um, I think I do think that feel came through that it's like, oh, this is a com- this comic might not be for me, but I can understand how it might be a good entry point for somebody. Uh, I think young. I think for like somebody who's like sort of between eight and eleven years old, twelve years old, I think this would be a really fun comic. It's like, oh, you might recognize Moon Girl because of like the Scholastic deal. Uh, Wolverine is obviously very recognizable. Havoc a little bit less so, but like this is a great like one shot. I know it's part of a series of one shots that yeah. Moon Girl did. So there was probably some stuff that we didn't pick up on from a like a like a, a through line for the story, but uh, this isn't for me. But it's I think it was uh, competently done, yeah, and it had some nice art. I did like the art a lot. Yeah. Um. All right, let's get into some plugs. Yeah. It's a plug, me daddy. Wait. Oh wait. No, I didn't do the Ryan thing. You got to do the Ryan thing. Wow. Wow. Listeners, this is the saddest display. Well, All right, it's a plug for daddy. <laughs> okay, that's creepy because you sound like the girl from Hereditary when I, she does that. A seamless transition. Uh-huh. As always, we like to wrap up with a little something we call Plug Me Daddy, where we each, or all both of us, get a chance to quickly highlight something that we've read, seen, heard, or experienced, and wanted to share with you, our proud little homos, Kaylin. Uh, what, what, what do you get to plug? Uh, so I recently went to see 3,000 Years of Longing, uh, which is a movie directed by George Miller who did the Mad Max movies, including Fury Road, starring Tilda Swinton of Tilda Swinton fame. You you might have heard of her. You might have heard of uh, two- uh, She <laughs> might have been D- David Bowie. <laughs> yeah, fa- f- famous alien Tilda Swinton. Yeah. Uh, and Idris Elba, one of the sexiest men alive. Uh, I, I, before you get into it, y- yeah. I said, my friend went and saw... Uh, three thousand years of solitude. Yeah, and they're like, "Oh, you mean? Uh, no, wait, no, no, wait. It's not three thousand years of solitude. What's the name of it? It's three thousand years of longing. Three thousand years of longing. They said it's three thousand years of solitude. I'm like, no, it's three thousand years of longing. Yeah. And then it's starring Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba, and they go, "Oh, no, I think it's actually. Am I the friend in this? I think that it's actually starring uh, uh, Denzel Washington. And I go, no, it's not. It's Idris Elba. And they go. They corrected. They try to correct me on both things. Is this like a Mandela effect? I don't know why I'm telling a story where I came out the victor, but I was fucking annoyed by it. <laughs> okay, so more importantly, the movie is absolutely fantastic. It is probably one of the best movies I've seen all year. Um, it's gotten some mixed reviews, and I can see why. But it 
first of all, I just love George Miller as a director. I think um, he knows how to tell a story really well. And it's, you know, it's a story about a woman who finds a bottle and there's a genie in it. So, you know, very Aladdin in that sense. The Three Wishes, all that stuff's there. And it's just, it's a conversation between these two people, these two entities, really. And he kind of goes into his, like, backstory. And it's just so beautifully told. I was transfixed the entire time. I absolutely absolutely love this movie and the two of them have so much chemistry together it's do, really good do you think it is a movie that one must see in theaters like dune or is it something that you could wait to I watch think, home i think you could wait but i mean it is it's visually stunning like yeah. um i i'm glad i saw it in the theater it made me very happy um my plug is for a technique of making pancakes so uh, you like pancakes, right? Yeah, they're fine. Everyone does, but they're stupid. They're... I prefer waffles. Third fucking tier. Yeah, French toast, waffles, pancakes. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You think you think waffles are better than French toast? Waffles are so much better than French toast. Oh, yeah, maybe you're right. Uh, waffles are more annoying. They're more difficult. You have to have a stupid fucking waffle maker. Yeah. So I agree. Co- convenience, a waffle is not. Yeah. Uh, convenient, a waffle is not. But... French toast is definitely better than fucking dumb pancakes. Oh, agreed. They, that I agree with they you. They just fall apart and get mealy Sog- and sandy. Soggy and just ugh. dumb. Yeah. But. Okay, tell me about your technique. But they're cheap. <laughs> and and I'm lazy sometimes and don't want to yeah. bother getting the proportions right for a French toast. Yeah. So I'll make pancakes. Yeah. And pancakes have a little bit more uh, flexibility when it comes to ingredients you can add. Yeah. Here's the thing I learned. America's Test Kitchen has a great recipe for pancakes, but their advice is when you're mixing your wets with your dries, you don't don't overmix it. Don't stir it until all the lumps are gone. Don't worry about that. It's not going to matter in the final outcome. Okay. And what you'll end up doing is making glutinous fibers that mean your pancake doesn't get fluffy and light. Uh, so if it's still a little bit lumpy, it's okay. Because when you put it on the pan, it'll it'll smooth out. It'll and get dissolve uh, the the those flour uh, uh, you know clusters. Hey hey Brent, why don't you make me some fucking pancakes? I'm not gonna make you pancakes. I'm not gonna make anyone pancakes. I make my husband pancakes because he likes them. But again, they're stupid. Well, uh, on that note, yeah, that's been our episode. That's been our episode. All right, don't forget to rate and review us if you like us or whatever. Who cares? Uh, give it. Uh, send us a nude pic on Twitter. <laughs> that's what we're taking now. Yeah, that's perfect. Hey, if you like this podcast, you just send a whole pic right our way. Um, we've got a review, uh, an interview, a creator crush interview with Livio Ramondelli that's coming out Monday. Please check that out if you like interviews or. The Kill Lock. And we've been Homo Superior Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Homo Superior X. Instagram at Homo Superior Podcast, where we've got a bunch of original memes that Adam created, most of which we rejected because they were too sexual. <laughs> <laughs> really inappropriate. <laughs> we've been Homo Superior. Uh, thanks for listening to Sabrina Brass. Bye, little Bye. homos.